Did you jump into the spirit? Did you feel it? Did you jump? Come on now. You got to jump into the spirit. Our dancers were encouraging us to. It ain't over till it's over. You know, sometimes we wish you could just skip through some stuff, but it ain't over till God says. God says it's over. I don't know what you want to run through. I don't know what you want to miss. I don't know what you think you know better than God, but God simply says it ain't over till God says it's over. So you know what? You might as well jump into the spirit, be a part of that life and that's releasing you, that's bringing you abundance, that's bringing you joy, just to be a part of it. Just go ahead and jump. Sometimes it's so hard for us to do. Sometimes. Our reading today from Ecclesiastes, boy, he's going all over the place. Tears and death and then love and joy and all of these things that are a part of life and everything has a time. Everything has a place. If what I think is interesting in it, you allow God to be a part of you in it. In the grief, in the mourning, in the joy, in the laughter, in the celebration, in the gathering in, in the releasing. If you let God be a part of it, then it ain't over, ever. No matter what you feel like, it ain't over because God hasn't said that it's over. So let's jump a little bit into this. Let's jump into this readings this morning as we start our series of uh, fruits, of which I'm proud to be one. <laughs> proud to, I'm proud to be one. But I like, thought I would start you off with a little fun because usually y'all like to laugh. And so I want you to think this morning about time. And as we think about time, we're going to think about it in what way are we generous with time? Because bringing your first fruits is bringing the best of yourself, bringing that which is shiny and fresh and new, bringing that which you have to give the best of yourself. And we're doing it with our time and our talent and our treasure, and then we're talking about how we do that together. And so how do we do that with our time? Have you even thought about being generous with your time and what it means to bring your best of yourself to it? Well, if you haven't thought about it, I know you've at least heard songs about it. And so I'm going to give you a quiz right now to see if you know what some of these songs are about time. And they're pretty easy because one of them is about Ecclesiastes. And I'm going to ask you to name the artist when I tell you the name of the song. Okay, got it? Ready? Okay? Turn, turn, turn. The birds. Isn't that Ecclesiastes set to music? Do y'all remember? Any of you remember singing it? You know? Did any of you ever spin around on the turn, turn, turn part? Okay? Okay. No spinning over here? Okay. I'm going to ask you another one. What about sunrise, sunset? Where'd it come from? Fiddler on the roof. Boy, those days go fast, it says. You know, when you're nine years old, the days go so fast in your first couple of years of school. When you're 39 years old, oh, that time changes. Time is sort of elastic and flexible, and it depends on our perception of it as to whether we think we have a lot of it or whether we think we don't have any of it, whether we're living out of scarcity or whether we're living out of abundance. Now, a couple more on this quiz. Who did Rock Around the Clock? Bill Haley in the comments. Some of us are revealing we're of a certain age. <laughs> All right. And that we love music at the same time. All right. And this one, I was corrected in the first service. On his album, Young Forever, the song Forever Young. You got it. Okay. 
Okay, they're my correctors up there. Oh, goodness. What about time after time? Nine to five. 25 or six to four. All right. Hey, don't tell them all the answers over here. What about times? They are a-changing. Bob Dylan. All right. What about in the midnight hour? Wilson Pickett. Wilson Pickett, in the midnight hour. If y'all don't know that one, you need to listen. Go listen to that. And now this is one of my favorites from one of our divas. If I could turn back time. All right. Have you ever wished you could have turned back time? In your relationship with time and thinking you don't have enough or you need more, have you ever wished you could just turn that clock back and turn back time and go where you want to be so you could try all over again? You know, I, I, I think of Doctor Who when I think about this, our Time Lord. And I have this fantasy sci-fi match that Cher would become a Time Lord and she could turn back time whenever she wanted and fix the world, get in that TARDIS and go wherever she wanted. So we all have a relationship with time. We've sung about it, we've done, seen movies about it, we've read books about it. We have phrases that we're happy to use about it. We're out of time. We, time flies, time stops, live a lifetime in a moment, you know, waste time. And then the one that's just a really good one I hear all the time is, time is money. You heard that? Time is money. Well, goodness gracious, if we're talking about being generous with money, we might as well talk about being generous with time. You know, might as well talk about that too. And try and not believe that we live in a world of scarcity where there isn't enough time to go around, but in a world of abundance. Because once we change that perspective, we will have enough time to do that which is important to us. There's a movie that's been out recently with Justin Timberlake in it called End Time. And in that movie, the whole system of payment for people, you don't use money anymore, you use time. And it's marked on your body. So if you work a full week, you get enough credits to make it through the next week. You know, so it's like minimum wage. You know, you just get enough to get to the next place, and then you have to keep going so that you get more credits on it. But what it says is how many more days, hours, minutes you have until you can't breathe anymore, until you're out of time. And this is used to keep people in their place in the class system so that they're not able to cross borders because they're always afraid. It's scarcity. They can't plan ahead. They have to get just what they need to make it the next step. And the whole movie is about how do you undo that scarcity. You get some people that go and rob time and give it to everybody freely. It sounds a little bit about Jesus, how they do that. But in time, I like the way the mark on it just haunts me a little bit, seeing that mark of the time on the person's arm, almost like a Holocaust number. You know, just your time is fleeting, going away. We try because we have the sense of scarcity to get as much packed in as we can. It's not good just to pay attention to one thing. We have to pay attention to two and three things at the same time. What's the word for that? All right. How many people have sacrificed themselves to the idol of multitasking? More than once, three or four times, daily. You know, if you've got your smartphone out right now and you're checking a text, you are multitasking. Right here in worship, right here in worship. Just saying, you know. So multitasking, we think, will help us get more done, be more productive, be more efficient. What can we do, you know, to get more packed in because time is scarce? You know, 
they've done research, and the research shows that multitasking doesn't really help you. I want you to Google it and look at the many, many, many reports of the research on multitasking. They've equated it to having two glasses of alcohol, of an alcoholic drink, and then trying to focus, or having a joint and trying to focus. Whatever you've used to alter your reality <laughs> and focus. But essentially what they've said is, you think you're doing better, but what's happening is you're not. Because you make more mistakes, you go slower, and you're not as effective when you multitask as when you pay attention to one sing single task. So the rush to the deadline, the race to keep doing more and faster actually puts you farther behind. And we've heard that, right? You get farther behind, farther and farther behind by going faster. Well, part of the wisdom of the scripture and of, is to say, okay, that means you need a Sabbath. That means you need to rest. That means that when you say that time is abundant, that you give yourself the moment to stop and breathe and put God first, all of a sudden you have more time than you thought you had before. It's sort of a paradox, because we're sometimes afraid to stop that long. Stop that long and say, thank you, God. Stop that long and jump into the spirit. Stop that long to rest our mind, our spirit, our soul. There's a movie that came out with Adam Sandler. It was a comedy, but I thought it had some wonderful points. He's given a magic universal remote control. How many of you ever wished for that? He gets in an argument, he clicks. And the argument, he's at the end of it already without any time being spent. You know, something painful happens, he clicks. Goodbye, grief. We don't have to worry about that. Another thing, he clicks. He's being the ultimate multitasker because he can do multiple things at the same time. He can speed up and pay attention when he wants to and ignore all of that stuff that it says there's a season for in your life. And so what happens at the turning point of the movie, he realizes he missed his father's death. And so he tries to hit the clicker, hit it to go back to where this moment in time was because he doesn't want to miss it because it's important to him. And the voice, the person that created the clicker simply says, you can't go back there because you weren't there. You missed it. You were not there. And all your clicking and all your multitasking and all the efficiency and productivity you wanted to be a part of, you missed it. And so he goes back to the time was the last moment he saw his father. And it shows him busy at his desk, email going, calendar open, all these things happening. His father comes into the room and is trying to engage him in conversation. He simply says, go away, go away. He doesn't pay attention to him. Then his father goes around beside him, taps him on the shoulder. He's still not seeing it or feeling it and says, I love you. The last words his father said to him in his presence were, I love you. And he missed it because he was so busy trying to be efficient and productive. What do you do when you can't be generous with time? What do you do when it's so scarce that you have to run fast or you think you won't be able to keep up? I would say you have to come back to the scripture and remember to take a Sabbath. I would say you have to learn what God says to you is you are mine first and I want the best of you. Come on now. Offer the best. Whether it's a first prayer in the morning, a first gift of thankfulness, offer the best. 
One of the researchers of this time management work says, with crumbs of attention rationed out among many competing tasks, our culture may gain in information, but we will surely weaken in wisdom. We might know some facts and some data, but we're going to miss the point. God says, stop, be still, know that I am God. It ain't over till it's over. I am with you. Gandhi said, there is more to life than simply increasing its speed. More to life than simply increasing its speed. So how can we turn to generosity? How can we shift our perspective to one from scarcity to one from abundance? When was the last time you even just lost track of time? Because you were so engaged with a person, with a task, with a moment. Did you let yourself sit in it and stay in it? Did you let yourself embrace it and wonder what God was teaching you in that moment? Did time seem more flexible, like it just was enough? I wonder, what do you do with interruptions? Can you have an attitude of generosity towards interruptions instead of just saying, no, can't even hear you say you love me because it'll take me away from my task? Do you need an alarm to go off to wake you up? I was sitting in my office over here uh, one day during the week, the only person on campus, and the alarm started going off, with it, which isn't unusual. I can hear it when people enter a door and you hear the sound, and I listen to hear if someone punches in an alarm code, because I can hear the beep, beep, beep of the alarm code, and so that means I don't have to move, okay? But if I don't hear someone doing that, then I have to get up and see what's happening. And so this didn't happen, so I got up, I came to the pad here, immediately put it off before all the big noises go off. And then, as is my usual routine, I'm usually kind of coming in here, what's going on, still thinking about my email, I say, hello, into the space. One day, God's going to answer me. <laughs> say, hello. And this week, of this occasion, God did not in the form I might have expected, but someone had gotten bad news. They'd gotten bad news. I don't know what it was, but it was health, relationship, economic, just horrible news. And so they decided to go to a church. And so they came to this church, and they went around the buildings where all the doors are always locked. Okay, so they went around, checked every door all the way around the building, made their way over here to this little door on the side, and it was open. They walked into the church. They came into here, which set off the alarm. And they were in pain and grief. And by the time I got in here and I said hello, they were crumpled right here on our floor. Crumpled on the floor, in pain, praying, telling me they were sorry at the same time they were crying. You know, looking for some peace. Looking for some healing. What do you do when you have an interruption? What does it do when all the doors are supposed to be locked but one's open? Does the alarm have to go off before God enters in? And in that space and moment, I could be with him, stay with him until he was able to go. But what is it like when interruptions can't even help us know God's with us and God's love? Oh my, was God here that day? right there waiting for someone to say, get off your email, pay attention, 
I'm here in everything, in all things. Be generous with your time. Take a Sabbath, connect with others. Give the best you have for me. Give the best of it for me. And so Jesus tells a joke. I don't know if you heard it in the gospel reading. Jesus tells a joke. They ask him, how do I do that? You know, love God, love neighbor. Who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells a joke. There was a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan, and they walked into a bar. You know, because they all know the answer to this joke. They know it's going to be on the Samaritan because he's the one they always tell the jokes on because the Samaritan's the outsider. A priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan walk into a bar. And then Jesus turns it on its head. And it's his answer to what it means to love God and love neighbor. And Jesus essentially says to them, it takes time. It takes time to love your neighbor. It takes time to love God. And if you want to be the neighbor, you have to give it. And so, the Levite, I'll pray for you while I walk by. The priest, I'll pray for you while I walk by. The Samaritan stops and does four things. The Samaritan touches the person that the others won't come near. So there's touch. Then the Samaritan invests both time and money in what is needed. Then the Samaritan mobilizes some help because he can't do it all by himself. And then the Samaritan endures. The Samaritan gives money and says, I'm going to come back. I'm not going to forget about this. All of that added together is time. The willingness to be touched and touch others. The willingness to involve yourself, to invest both time and money in what it might take to have it change. The willingness to then include others if you can't do it all on your own so that they may be able to help you too. And then the willingness to come back in and check again. You're not done with just sending the prayer off overseas. What does it mean to endure? It takes time. And so are we willing and able to jump into that spirit knowing God is with us in all things and in that place give the best of ourselves to where God interrupts us in our life, in our sleep, in our work, in our driving? Are we willing to offer that best to God, that time? It's a challenge for us. It's easier to write a check, you know, than to actually give the best of our time. My mom was one of those people who would wake up early, early in the morning, 5 o'clock, every morning. Her last pregnancy, which is my sister 20 years younger than me, just changed her biological clock. And she was up every day at 5 o'clock. And so she decided she would give that time, her first time, her best time to God. And she made it her prayer time. And so between 5 and 5.45, if you walked through the den in our house, there'd be mom sitting in her chair praying. She prayed for all of us. She gave the best of that moment to God and to the rest of those she cared about and all the concerns that came her way. It wasn't always fun, though, if you'd been out discotheking till 4 and went to uh, the house of pies till five, <laughs> then you would break in on mom's prayer time at 5.15 in the morning. And she'd say, I'm praying for you. <laughs> and then she'd say, you know, choir, church service at 11, choir's there at 10.30. You know, I hope you're there. But giving the best, your first love, your first moment of time, some space, 
for God to be active in your life? How can you do that this week? What might you shift or change so that time is being treated in your life as being abundant? So that God may shift your perspective on what's enough and that you may take that first fruit that you are of God's, that harvest of that energy, that whole being, that breath, that life. Take that first moment and give it to God. I invite you, I invite you to wonder this month about how we're doing with all of our first fruits, time, talent, treasure, and how we do that together. Because together, God's asking us, okay, I'm with you, and saying, come on, jump in. Jump in. I'm right there, too. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.